Today, welcome to another Dental Business Transaction podcast, and I have great pleasure in welcoming an old friend of mine, Ian Dalton of Elmvia Dental Practice Sales. And the difference here is that Ian is based in Australia. Ian, welcome. Hello, Lily. Welcome to me. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's all right. It's great to talk to you. And obviously, at the point of recording this, um, you happen to be in the UK, which is great. Um, you're over for a short while. Um, so, Ian, first of all, before we talk about dental practice sales in Australia, because obviously that fascinates me of, of how different it is to our world over here. Um, tell our listeners about how you came to be in Australia, but more importantly, how you started selling dental practices. Thanks, Lily. Um, look, we moved over as a family in 2006 to Australia. And I think originally we had just wanted to have a bit of an adventure um, my wife and I had met in New York. We're both English, but we met in New York. And um, we're used to that sort of transient sort of lifestyle, I guess. We um, were fortunate enough to have two lovely kids and got to the stage, I think, around about the time that they were eight and ten, that we thought it was a great opportunity maybe to give them a, a different style of life. Um, and um, we'd done quite a bit of research in regards to my work opportunities within moving to Australia. So I, th I think it was just that time for us. Um, we'd had 10 years or so back in the UK after moving back from New York and we're just ready to, to make that move. Um, I, I used to work as a regional um, recruitment manager for a large health company in the UK or a couple of them and working way, way, way too hard, as we're all familiar with, way too much driving, you know, um, leaving the house at five and six in the morning and not getting back at eight at night or having to stay away. So we just wanted to get that sort of little bit of work-life balance, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, originally it was general recruitment, which moved into dentistry recruitment around about a year or two into being in Australia. And then we set up a separate entity completely purely for dental. And I guess after a number of years of working in the dental recruitment field and networking and having a really large um, group of referral and clients and both dentists looking for work and owners that were looking for dentists, it became the obvious thing that we moved in towards practice sales. Um, and that was about seven or eight years ago. So um, we now specifically do dental recruitment from the UK, which is why I'm over here at the moment. And we do um, predominantly dental practice sales across the whole of Australia. Cool. There's a lot of synergies there, isn't there? Because that's exactly how I started out as, and as well. I think we first met about 12 or 13 years ago. I was trying to think earlier. Um, God, doesn't time fly when you're having a good time, eh? You, you know, Lily, I think, and you probably have a much better memory than I do, but it was around then. And I think it was just at the time that you were starting... It wasn't was. it? It was like pretty much, I don't know if you'd actually just started or you were just about to start. I just started working for myself, having worked for a blue chip company doing dental and veterinary practice sales. And I remember when we met at a trade show in London, um, how much fun we used to have, first of all. Um, <laughs> stories for another day. But also, I remember helping you out initially because I'd had lots of documentation drawn up and, yes. and all the legislation and everything that was necessary and I remember I was so happy for you to do this in Australia, which is really cool, of course. Um, and I'm really pleased to hear that you're thriving. So that's really great. Um, now, let's talk a little bit more about the actual 
the whole transaction thing in Australia? Because obviously, you know how it works here in the UK. Um, how, first of all, how do you value practices in Australia? The goodwill. Yeah, so good, good question. The, there's two main methodologies that we use. And, and that's really determined by, to be honest, the size of the practice and its profitability. If we're selling a, a larger practice that's very profitable or, or making decent profit, then we would always try and value the business based on that multiple of profit. Um, a, a guide price to that would be between 4.5 to around six times the annual profit would be around about the sale price. Yeah. Now, that there is certain caveats to that in that quite often within that, there would be an agreed period of time where the, the owner would remain in work um, on a part or full-time basis um, and they would not receive 100% of that sale up front. As a great example, let's just say we sold a business that was doing $200,000 profit at five times. That means the total sale price would be a million dollars. Quite often that owner would see $750,000 up front when the sale transaction goes through and they would maybe work for three years where they would receive that further $250,000 over an agreed period of time. Let's just say every 12 months, a third of that, that, that post-sale agreement. They do often get the chance to, to earn more. There's bonuses available and other ways in which they can in enhance that final sales figure. They would obviously remain in work and they would normally get 40 or 42% of what their gross production is. Cool. The other alternative way is generally for more uh, smaller sales where we would, gen again, as a general guide, we would value a practice at around 75 to 80% of its gross production. Okay. So again, let's just say it's a, it's a much smaller practice that's maybe doing half a million dollars in gross production. It would normally sell for around three hundred dollars to $400,000. And that would be a mixture of goodwill and equipment and fit out. And very often that owner would not have to work post-sale, would literally walk in and walk out. Cool. So very, very similar indeed to the UK because right. no two practices are the same as we know. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the, the competition out there to buy, because like ourselves in the United Kingdom, you have your corporate buyers out there. You have your corporate brands. What's the level of interest like for buying dental practices in Australia at the moment, especially coming through through the COVID, through the pandemic? Because I know they're having it very bad over there. Um, what's the corporate interest like? Corporate interest is very, very strong. We can't get enough stock. Um, well, I'm sure that's a common problem for you as well. Um, you know, as it is in all forms of, I guess, business sales and real estate. Um, but we do have, there's been a fair amount of transition in our marketplace and we've seen um, quite a few new sort of mini corporates developed, um, smaller groups that are trying to make into larger groups, groups that are trying to make acquisitions of other groups and then form a uh, business that might go to IPO. Um, it seems to be a fairly common theme that acquisitions grow um, and that the owning group, quite often a, maybe a venture capitalist group, would then look to list on the stock market wherever possible. And, and then they're buying at five and six times and they're hoping to list at 
you know, 10 to 12 times that type of um, level. So the corporate uh, demand is extremely high. The stock levels are fairly low. Um, I think what we found with COVID, the way it has been for everybody, we've res- we've had a, so many lockdowns in, in uh, Australia, um, whilst we weren't ever affected in the same level that you guys were. Certainly within industry, we were affected with lockdowns and people not being able to attend the dentists or only being able to attend for emergency appointments. We are seeing that obviously production levels understandably are lower, um, that owners are a little bit reticent about listing their practice at the moment because they feel that they're not going to get the full value. However, um, the message I would like to get out to my buyers were I in a position to do so, or my sellers rather, would be to say that these guys are willing to to look at post uh, sale price based on pre covid numbers yeah you know they so, they um, sorry Lee, you go sorry i beg your pardon um yeah it, there's a lot of very strong similarities between exactly what we're going through here because the the demand is still very very strong um so if a dentist for example was frustrated for looking for a practice in the uk because obviously demand outstrips supply um, and they were going to go to Australia. They'd made the decision to make the lifestyle move. Would you say that they stand a greater chance of getting the kind of profile of practice they've always wanted that they perhaps hadn't managed to secure in the UK? Or would they find that they're sticking their head in the lion's mouth when they get over there and it's just as tough? <laughs> no, I think that they would find that they would have a much better chance of securing a practice. Um, and and. Our main point of difference, of course, is that there is no NHS contracts. There's no UDA numbers. It's all based on private practice dentistry, almost exclusively, with one or two small schemes that support child benefits and veteran affairs and one or two of those other things. Um, it's it's a purely private-based sale. Um, so they would be able to purchase a practice, um, you know, that's in a hopefully in a lovely suburb with private practice patients. Um and look, my understanding is it's still at a lower level than the cost of the sales in the UK. But obviously, I don't have that level of experience. But my understanding was it, it is. I think that the big thing, Lily, is though, I think it would be incredibly difficult for somebody to walk out of their practice in Fareham in Gosport and to fly over to Australia, buy a practice and start work straight away. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I wouldn't recommend that that's what they did I would certainly be able to help them to um, to get an idea of what values would be like I'd be able to help them to come over I'd be able to help them to secure a job and my advice would always be at least six or 12 months working for somebody else <laughs> make your mistakes on somebody else's payroll to be bluntly honest and yeah, um, yeah. and try and, before and, you buy yeah yeah try before you buy get a chance to see the good the bad and the ugly what works well what doesn't work well and and be able to then import your ideas from you know what you've seen in the UK and amalgamate them with the quality of the type of dentistry that we we do in Australia. Um, it is a bit of a shift for everybody. Um, much longer consultation times, um, far less, far fewer patients in the day, um, and a lot more customer centric type service approach. Um, so, you know, I think that people are not scared about spending money in private practice in Australia. It's the norm. 
they walk in and they expect it to be $500, $1,000 or more every time they come in. Um, they're not necessarily quibbling about cost. And all of those things are very different to the norm for a UK dentist who's working maybe in a mixed private practice and NHS practice. So, um, you know, we would always suggest that... Um, I nearly once sold a, a, um, a specialist practice to a UK specialist orthodontist and we'd gone through the stage of agreeing on a price and everything else and it eventually fell over, unfortunately, for um, more sort of travel reasons and things like that. This is, was, was pre-COVID. But it's the only time that I've genuinely got to the stage where a contract's been agreed upon with a UK-based dentist buying in Australia. In saying that, we've got tons and tons and tons of experiences and um, where we've had UK dentists come and work who've then become my clients, whether to buy or to sell. And that's a very, very common theme for us. And that's 15 years worth of networking. Absolutely. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And of course, it's not only does the business fit, but it's also about the lifestyle change. Because when you relocate to another country, it takes a hell of a long while to transition. And if they're bringing a family with them, you know, it doesn't always work out, as we know. I have friends who, who emigrated and, and they didn't like it. They gave up everything in the UK, then they ended up coming home. But then I have many other friends, including my daughter, as you know, who lives in New Zealand, who went out there and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's an incredibly big leap of faith. And obviously, I can speak on behalf of my daughter to say that she loves living in the Southern Hemisphere, as do you. But it's not for everyone. And so you've got to be very sure, haven't you, about making that transition. And as you say, it makes every sense to go out there and see if you like the lifestyle and your family is going to support you before Absolutely. you actually buy. So um, you talked about some of the challenges. Are there any other major challenges that you would say a UK dentist would need to be keeping in mind if they were thinking of buying in Australia? Anything else? Look, I, th I think I'll give one general piece of advice to all of the we, we've seen I've been over here for two and a bit weeks now and I've probably met or zoom called about 20 or so dentists today and I anticipate that there'll be another 15 or 20 over the course of the weekend down at Excel and, and the one piece of advice I always give to everybody not that they all listen is that they <laughs> need need to be relatively flexible and humble and and feel that They've got to understand they're moving across to, as you say, a completely different country with a different culture. Whilst we all speak the same language, we're all very, very different. Dentistry is so much different in Australia than it is in the UK. Um, it's a learning experience from everybody, both from a client perspective and from a dentist moving over, whether you're buying or whether you're working. And I think that um, it's the biggest point that we have to get across to people consistently is that they have to be flexible and understand. And, and, and I'm going to say this word, although I don't like saying it, it'll probably take offence to people, but there we go, I'm going to say it anyway. It's just not feel entitled. You know, you're yeah. going over there, you'll be given the opportunity to work for somebody. Um, they're taking a big risk and giving you a job, you know, or, you know, potentially moving towards purchasing. Um, just, you know, go, go over there with a really flexible, open attitude of working hard and making it work and it will be an amazing success and it is for nearly everybody there's very very few times that it's not but the i can guarantee the ones that don't work out are the ones that are extremely high maintenance that feel that they should be 
receiving any everything and anything in advance and, and more often than not they don't and they don't like it and they come home. Yeah. Preconceptions, you see. It's you about setting those realistic expectations, you know, Lily. And yeah. I think you probably have to do it every day of the week for in terms of when people are buying as well. It's in, in what we do in terms of the 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 movement of people across from you know one country to another um in the same way that you have to do with realistic expectations of buyers and realistic expectations of sellers and everybody have to be on the same page totally agree totally agree um let's talk about legislation issues because as you know here in blighty we have cqc do you have anything like that out there as part of the wholesale purchase process no in a, in a nutshell um so anybody can buy a dental practice for sure um it's based on finance if you've got the money you can buy um for dentists they have to be registered with ARPRA which is our register is your similar of as you know of the GDC over in the UK they have to register ARPRA and they also have to um more often not be members of either the ADC or the ADA they don't have to be but more often than not they are um there is very, very limited legislation in regards to owning a dental practice. There really is at the moment, and I'm sure it will change. But people have been talking about it changing for a lot, long time, and we're not seeing it. So um, Australia can be very legislative, but it doesn't seem to be with regards to owning a business. That's a... That must be very refreshing to hear because obviously, as you know here, and we won't, we won't talk about it in detail today here, but you know, there are so many things that can get in the way of a deal going through here, which um, slows it down, causes transaction fatigue, and all the wheels can fall off very quickly in a deal when you're waiting and waiting for the interminable, you know, the CQC, and then the funding with the banks. I think everything's changing at the moment and we're in a little bit of a... Uh... I guess, transitional period post-COVID or I guess during still COVID, if you want to describe it as that. We are seeing delays. Um, I, I, my old grumpy self says it's basically taking twice the amount of time to do half the amount of work at the moment for most people, I believe. Um, but yeah, th th there is delays. Um, we're finding not only with the banks and the finance aspect, look, the appetite is good to lend. And very often, and maybe I don't know if it's the same for you guys over there, but very often banks will lend 100% of the purchase price, no problems, very, very, you know, very easily. And that's based on due diligence and obviously looking at numbers and accounts and and those sorts of things. But more often than not, it's when a dentist is going to go and work in that practice, then the, the um, banks are happy to look at that 100% lending. The rates are generally quite low. They're not as low as what it is for you guys over here, but... We can we can see um, commercial loans at at under four percent at three points you know th high threes, um, so it's very cheap to borrow money at the moment um, on a commercial basis. Certainly a lot cheaper than it ever used to be, um, but it's taking time, um, and and it's not just the banks; it's the accountants, it's the landlords, you know, whoever it may be involved in the chain everybody seems to be taking a lot longer than what they uh, did before, you know, and I've, I've got, I mean, I'm sure you experience it as well. I've got deals that have taken over 12 months and longer yeah. Yeah. and longer. Yeah. We have clients, we have experiences that you never forget. And I, I remember joking to a client once and said, oh, don't, you know, we've got a sale agreed. It's all going well, but don't go booking a world cruise because it might go through longer than you think. And she said, what well, I have, 
She said, I'm going, <laughs> she was going canoeing up the Orinoco or something. And I was like, I was aghast and said, well, oh dear, I don't think you will be. And of course, the, because the sale didn't go as well as it should be um, no. at, currently at the moment. I mean, some sales can go through in six or seven months, but we realistically say to clients, you know, you've got to factor in about eight months with a fair yeah. wind. You could do it in that. But some deals are going on over a year and some a lot longer. So it sounds like we have very, very similar uh, issues and frustrations on that front. Um, so overall, what do you say is the beginning to start time you agree a deal on a practice sale over there? Typically speaking, how long does it take for it to go over the winning line? Look, I, I would have said um, 18 months or so ago that we would normally, a lot shorter than you, we would normally be looking at three to four months. You know, that would be a fairly feasible, doable deal. And we've done deals much shorter than that, I have to say. Um, but what we're finding at the moment is that I think you can put an, double that. So whatever it was before, if it was three or four months, it's now six or eight. Wow. I'd, I'd be happy to take the six or eight, frankly. Yeah, sure. And of course, the thing about that is, is that if a deal goes through a lot quicker, people have less time to get jaded with the deal, transaction fatigue, as I talked about, for all for people to start falling out, getting disgruntled, feeling aggrieved. And though the bank, the funding then expires, the CQC, all these things just add to it. Whereas if you can get it done and dusted in, in four months, it's so much better for everyone. But oh, unfortunately, look, we are a long way off from that ever happening. And I know that the people in my industry talking to the solicitors and accountants, they're so frustrated, but nothing seems to be shortening that time frame so there we go but there's obviously a lot of synergies there look lily it it there's absolutely common theme throughout that the longer something takes the less likely it is to happen yeah I totally and that's it. true for everybody so that's not us putting pressure on people to try and move quickly it's actually in everybody's best interest so it, it it's the same in recruitment for us bringing over dentists from the uk to australia the longer it takes the less likely it is going to happen and it's the same in in our in our deals, you know. That's the truth of the matter. The I didn't. I don't think I mentioned to you, but we own a real estate business over in um, Australia as well. I, I you have to hold. I don't know what the situation is with you guys in the UK, but in Australia you have to hold a um, full real estate license in order to be able to sell businesses. They don't have a separate business licensing um, qualification or or. Um, uh, registration as such, you'd use the real estate license. So I, I've been a principal real estate license holder for a long, long time. And we've subsequently opened up a small real estate agency of our own, purely for residential. And I do, th I do put some of the commercial stuff through because we do actually do some commercial freehold sales as well. Um, that's, that's the beauty of a note. We wish, I wish business sales were the same because once it goes through, it goes unconditional within, you know, quite often two or three weeks it's unconditional that's it it's done yeah. the deal's yeah. done it could take another six months or people could agree to to extend settlement times but the deal is done that's it um there's no going back um i just wish that we could incorporate some changes within the process and i am changing some processes at the moment um which we should probably have a conversation about at a later date to try and make things a little bit more broker friendly um, but, but certainly, yeah, it's, it's never, the fat lady can warm up as much as she wants, but, um, yeah, it, <laughs> it's not over the line until the day that the money goes into the account for everybody, you know, um, I, wherein, I, you know. 
I agree. I think people sometimes, they look at what we do and they think it's easy, but it's not. And they find out very quickly how frustrating and how difficult it can be. Yeah, for, for the guys that, of your clients that are listening and, you know, that have recently bought or maybe sold, they, they, they will have a small taste of what you and I would probably have. I have at any point in time anywhere up to about 20 to 30 sales at some level or another. Um, it's, you know, and, and every single one of those you can guarantee will have um, those problems. And that's times 30, you know. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's a bit of a it's a it's a great industry to be in and the return on the investment is what lovely but um it can be a, a very 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 uh, stress stressful work to do and you need those high returns because you bloody well deserve it because you work hard for it i couldn't agree more well said and it is very challenging um but that's why of course people need to engage a professional because you think you've got it covered or your advisor says, oh, I'll sell it for you. I'll help you sell. But of course, they're only looking after their own angle because they're not taking it to the whole market. They're not giving you the best options, the best buyer, the best terms. But also there's so many things that can go wrong. And unless you have that massive breadth of experience to deal and navigate through all these problems, we I can't tell you how many people come to us, Ian, whose deal has gone flat or multiple times They've had a go at selling privately or their advisor has tried to help them sell it and they've shown them about three people. And a lot of the time you can identify where that went wrong and where it should have been called out. It should have been sorted out or put back on the market to cover them better. So let's talk. I know how hard you work, Ian. Let's talk about playtime. And I know you're a bit of a sporting person, aren't you? Um, tell me about your hobbies and your passions. We're, we're a very sporty family, Lilia, and um, I um, was fortunate enough to be involved in professional sport for many, many years in New York. And then when I first moved back to the UK and moved into recruitment and other things at a later point in life, when I found that I had to get a real job. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, the beauty about um, living in Australia more often than not is if you're going to go and play golf, which I do love playing golf, I wish I could play a bit more often, or you're going to play football, very rarely gets called off. You know, um, you can almost guarantee that the weather's going to be great. Um, I've still been able to pull my boots on and play football at a decent enough level, and um, that's purely based on the weather. You know, the fact that it's warm, and um, you know, I, I'm back here at the moment, and my my knees are giving me all sorts of jip because of the cold weather and you know, and the dampness, it, although it's been beautiful weather the last few days, as you know. Um, but yeah, it, we're, we're very sporty. My my uh, kids both play football at a really high level and um, we've we've shared that passion for sport uh, all our lives and, and uh, it's been great fun. Well, I know because I obviously follow your daughter, Izzy, who's a professional footballer and she's currently playing for a, 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 an English club. But I know she's also played in Italy, hasn't she, as well, and Australia. So you must be yeah. very proud of her. Yeah, both both kids, in fairness. Um, Izzy's getting a bit more of the um, limelight at the moment. Um, yeah, she's she's travelled the world. She's had an amazing time. She She's played in America. She got her free education over there um, in the US college system and had a wonderful time. And she's played subsequently in, uh, in Scotland, in Italy, in Australia and in England. Um, 
She has aspirations to, to represent Australia. Um, she's always been in and around the Matildas squad. She's, she was in the Olympic uh, long list to be selected, but unfortunately didn't get the, um, the, uh, the tick to go. Um, so she's working hard, but she's having a wonderful time. And she's studying. She's, um, she's got one degree under her belt, and now she's taking up another one independently. Um, the professional football organisation are actually helping with the cost of that, which is good on them. Um, so that's nice. Um, and yeah, my son's had the chance to play all over the world. He's played in Spain, he's played in Sweden, he's played in New York. Um, and he's playing football in Australia now, um, at one tier down from a professional level. But his life's changed a bit. He's um, obviously, a, I'm a granddad now. Um, I know you can't possibly believe it. If anybody could see me right now, but that's, that's a lie. Um, but yeah, we've, he, he's got different focus on, on things. But we're a massive football or a sport sporting household. We all play golf, you know, my son and my daughter and myself. We we play golf together. We go to football matches together. We play football together. We watch each other play football um, and have a, a real great time of it, to be honest. So we're very, very fortunate. Fabulous. It's absolutely marvellous. Um, so, OK, one more question for you. So, well, it's a twofold question, actually. What do you miss about the UK? living over there and what do you love more about Australia? So let's start about with what do you miss about the UK? Well, Lily, I've, I've just, as you probably know, because you've followed me a little bit on Facebook, I've just had a, a two weeks of a, non, a non-stop tour of, of fun stuff and sporting events. Um, so I've, I've been fortunate enough to go and see Liverpool play twice live, um, which is my team. And I've been to Cheltenham races. And so the obvious thing that I miss, I, I miss... Saturday afternoon football. Um, I miss all of the sporting events. Um, uh, I really um, am a pretty simple guy that just loves watching my sport live on telly. And, and the sport I really love more than anything else is English-based or UK-based. So the, to watch it over there is pretty hard. It's either at 10 o'clock at night or 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, so it's never quite the same. You know, we watched the, uh, the Euro final um, at 5am in the morning, you know, in, in a little coffee shop, some groups of mates and I, we all put something together. And we, but it's, it's, it wasn't the same as watching at eight o'clock, you know, at uh, Box Arena or somewhere like that or in the local pub. Um, so I miss that. I miss that. I miss family and miss friends. Um, I miss Europe. I miss travelling to Prague and Munich and Barcelona and Paris and all those fun things. Um, yeah. And we're going to be doing a lot more of that soon, hopefully. Um but on the alternative, look, we've had an unbelievable opportunity in Australia. It's uh, both personally, professionally, um, it's been a great opportunity that's worked out incredibly well for us. Um, the, the obvious things are lifestyle. You know, um, we live close to the beach. We've lived on the water. Um, you know, you can choose to do all those fun things. Um, you feel healthier. Um, you just that that thing that we were saying earlier on about you know trying to still continue to play sport that the you know in the in your 50s is not something you can do i don't think as easily in the uk um it's so much easier to do it in a warmer climate um yeah we've we've made some wonderful friends over there we've you know we've had a chance to build two or three four five houses um and design them and build them ourselves which you know you don't really get the opportunity to do over in the uk and that's that's been fun. We've we've really enjoyed that aspect of things. But I think we're at that stage now where we're just trying to get that balance right where we'll spend 
probably six months in in you know in in and around Australia and six months in and around Europe and we shouldn't be too far away from that. That's great. Ian, you're a marvellous advocate for life in Australia and, and the lifestyle. You've got the work-life balance sorted. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And how do people get hold of you if they want to have a conversation with you to talk about taking that leap of faith? What's the best contact details for you? Thank you, Lily. It, same with you. We're, we've been good mates. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you in London as well. Um, look, I think the best way to do it is we've just launched a brand new website for our dental recruitment aspect, which is really easy to remember, which is called Jobs for Dentists. So that's jobs with the number four dentists.com.au. So www.jobsfordentists.com.au. You'll find me on there, um, Ian Dalton. Um, you know, so that's the easiest thing. I'm on LinkedIn, Ian with an extra I, I-A-I-N. Dalton. So I'm on LinkedIn. I've got tons and tons of UK dentists that everybody should know that are probably linked up with us and lots of clients and lots and lots of football people as well. <laughs> tons Great. and tons of football people on there. So uh, yeah, I'm sure. Thank you. I, I really welcome the opportunity to come on. I've really enjoyed it. And um, it's my first ever podcast, by the way. So is it? Is thank it? you for going easy You're on me. You're a podcast virgin. <laughs> Well, you've done very well and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I can't wait to see you in person um, and you never know, I'll come and see you in Australia. You know I've got no. plans to come over later in the year, so it'll be you, great to see you in the glorious sunshine. You've been promising that, Lily, now for a few years. But... I know, well, some nasty little virus got in the way, but yeah, there we go. Right. Let's make it real. Ian, yeah. thanks very much indeed. My pleasure, Lily. Thank All you. All the best. <laughs>